Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For the next several weeks through October, kind of began it last week, but we're going to think about some things that concern Jesus. And you'll see it laid out over the course of the series that the main theme of each Sunday aligns an acrostic with the word church. And we'll kind of come back to that. But let's start with this. It's all Jesus thinks about. At least that's what we read it's what's constantly on his mind. It is what concerns Jesus the most. It is why when he's giving his purpose statement in Luke chapter 4, after he's unpacked a scroll in the synagogue, it's why he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That's his purpose statement. If you want to know what the life of Jesus is about, you need to go to Luke 4 and read that. It's why we hear through the Gospels about the secrets of the kingdom of God. It's why we hear Jesus say, he tells a story, gives a parable, and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's why we hear these words. We just, I just recited the Lord's Prayer, which fundamentally comes from Matthew chapter 6. It's why later in Matthew chapter 6, we hear these words, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. The kingdom of God. God of creation and ruler of time. Come and rule this heart of mine. Nothing matters more to Jesus than this. So it should not be lost on us that this is the foundational focus of what we would look at as the Lord's Prayer, what we believe Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And it's more than just a rote prayer, and we'll get into that a little bit. And this really isn't a message on the Lord's Prayer. But the fundamental, the foundational focus should not be lost on us of this prayer is this. Verse 10 of Matthew 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When was the last time you prayed the Lord's Prayer on your own? When was the last time you sat with the Lord's Prayer? Just sat with it for days at a time and let it speak to you when you sat with the words Jesus taught us to pray, and when you begin to sit with these words, when you begin to hear especially these words from verse 10, you realize something, that the kingdom of God is for right here and right now. It's a present reality. It's right here, right now in our lives. 
It's why we need to be careful that we don't first think about the kingdom of God as happening outside of us, something outside of there. It is greater than us in some ways, of course. It's why we, we really got to be careful that we don't just say, well, this is just about going to heaven. In fact, maybe we've asked the wrong question for a very long time sometimes. We, in the church and as Christians, we've asked this question. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? I think I've come to believe that that's the wrong question. Many of you know that I'm a fan of Dallas Willard, and Dallas Willard seems to make thoughts right in my head anyway. But he said this, the question of the evangelist should be, if you don't die tonight, what are you going to do tomorrow? <laughs> and the answer should be, I'm going to trust Jesus with all my life and with everything, and that will allow me to live in the kingdom of God. And I would add this, if we live, if we live that way, if we say, if I don't die tonight, what am I going to do tomorrow? And the kingdom of God is what's going to define my life. Heaven will take care of itself. But where does it begin for each of us? Where does it begin? This summer I hiked Mount Monadnock. Let's go ahead and put that up there. Now that's a beautiful day right there, right? That wasn't the day we hiked Mount Monadnock. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that there was an attempt in July. I'm not sure we've got to talk to God about this. But there was an attempt in July to emulate Noah's flood with the rain. <laughs> right? So when the Sunday came that we were going to hike it, it was, um, it was let's just say, um, a deluge would be a good word. So we woke up that morning, and it was drizzling rain. Well, that's probably being generous. It was, it was raining. And the previous two days had been pouring, especially the night before. But my brother-in-law, Scott, had said to me, I want to just take a day where it's just you and me and we hike Mount Monadnock. Now, you need to know this about my brother-in-law, Scott. He's part human being and he's part goat because <laughs> he can hike anything with great agility. You know, I ride a bike. I don't climb rocks. And, well, that's not true. When I'm on the main coast, I climb rocks. But, man, oh, man, he's like, he's, he's a beast. So, anyway... I knew what I was in for, but we determined we would start out and see if we could navigate the trail. And it was amazing. We got there. No one's there. The, the rangers are looking at us like we're crazy. They don't tell you not to go. They just say, you know, it's, there's rocks and water. It's going to be slippery. Be careful. So we started hiking up the trail, and it was wet. And what was really amazing, I have video of this all around us. All you could hear was water everywhere. It was, it was amazing. It was freeing. It was life all around us. So we began hiking up, and if you've ever hiked Mount Monadnock, you know it's basically you're hiking up rocks, up a rocky trail, and it was great plopping through water and all that stuff. But then as we were hiking, we're hiking along, and all of a sudden we noticed there's someone coming behind us. There's actually someone else who's doing this. And they come up behind us, and it's a young man. He's in his early 30s, probably around 32, 33 years old. He has long black hair, and he has a beard. Does that like, sound like anybody we... So 
he was very pleasant and he was kind and he, and he kind of hiked to us and he stopped and, you know, we had great greetings and, and then he hiked ahead of us. And after a little bit, after he'd gone, Scott turned to me and said, I think that was, I think that was Jesus. His name was actually Eric. But we referred to him the rest of the hike as Jesus. And we hiked on at one point, Scott was hungry. And he said, man, I'm really getting hungry. I said, well, maybe we should find Jesus. And he turned one of these rocks into a ham and cheese sandwich. That's what I said to him. I'm sure Jesus wouldn't have gotten the humor of that one. So we hiked on, and we went our way. We got to the top, and it was all socked in. The weather was awful, but guess who was at the top waiting for us? It was Jesus. And there was Eric, and we shared some small talk. And then Scott and I moved into a protected kind of crevice because it was windy and wet, and you couldn't see anything. It was beautiful, but it was socked in, and maybe you've been there when it's that way. But we went there because one of the things we wanted to do is we, we wanted to worship together and have communion together at the top of the mountain. So we got in our space, and here we're in this protected crevice, and here is up there. And so we, uh, we stopped, and I looked at our friend, and I said, you know, my, my brother-in-law and I, we believe in being part of a worshiping community and so we wanted to have communion and community together today. And I, I don't know if this is something that you participate in or something that you're familiar with, but, you know, would you like to join us? And he kind of looked at us and paused and, and said, yeah, I think, yeah, I'll do that. And he comes down. And I had some, you know, I had some communion with me, the portable kind of communion that we use. And so I gave him one and I gave Scott one and, and we partook nothing fancy. We just remembered our Lord and his love for us and how he gave his life for us that we might find forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. And, and we got done and, and he said, thanks so much for including me. And then we went on our way. I need to tell you, we were down the hill a ways and who caught up with us? Right. Jesus catches up with us. And, and he said hi, and he went on his way. But the rest of the day, that's, we kept referring to him like that. Now, why do I share that story with you? Because that became a metaphor for me of living this journey of life with Jesus. That the kingdom of God does not begin somewhere out there. But think about it. That God himself wants to include us. I wonder if Jesus wants to turn to you and me and say, thank you for including me in your life. Because the kingdom of God includes us. God wants to include us. That became a metaphor for me of this idea of his presence right with us, that the kingdom of God does not begin somewhere out there, but somewhere deep within here and around here. Now, in Luke 17, the Gospel of Luke 17, the most religious people asked the question that so many religious people asked. They wanted to know when the kingdom of God would come. But we need to set the proper context because, of course, they were expecting a kingdom that exercised political domination and nationalistic might. 
That's what the religious leaders wanted. One where they had all the power, where they had the control. Jesus' response is very telling to us, even today. Here's how he responds to their question. When's the kingdom coming? He says the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Think about that. Then he says, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. That very rightfully can also be translated, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is within your midst. It could all be translated that way. And and this is why it is critical. Jesus himself brings the kingdom. And that is why Jesus is so insistent that he wants to take residence up in our lives. Why he wants us to include him. The kingdom is a present reality. Later on, Jesus makes this promise as well. Before long, he says in John 14, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Put it more directly, in the one place in the New Testament that describes eternal life, Jesus says this, verse 3. Ed, could you back that down a little bit? I'm getting a lot of feedback. Jesus says this. There is one place where he describes eternal life. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What a definition that is. Not eternal life is some great glorious place out there. Not eternal life is is going to do this amazing thing in your life. Eternal life is knowing God, knowing Jesus. Here and now, participating, interacting, relating in the very life of Jesus. So when, when we're singing these songs that Jamie led us to sing today, and we're singing directly to God, of course that makes sense. This is the being involved with the operational power of the kingdom of God here, now, and that's what that word knowing replies that Jesus used, probably originally in the Aramaic. It replies this experiential knowledge. Ignatius of Loyola founded the Jesuits, what we know as the Jesuits today. And he said this, the purpose and the foundation of life is to know, love, and serve God. That's a pretty good purpose statement for life. To know, love, and serve God. But it begins with that knowing a very real Jesus. That's why that Mount Monadnock experience took on a different life for me. It was was this idea of living and walking and knowing and being with the actual Jesus, being with him, with us. And so the question that comes to me is this. Jeff, do you know that Jesus? Not just a Jesus that's formulated in some kind of religious dogma, which is important, but do I really know him? Not a Jesus that I can just really quantify, that I can control, that I can build around what I want my belief system to be like, but that I really know him? I mean, that's what he said, is that eternal life is really knowing him. 
Because if we don't know him, how are we going to know about the kingdom of God? How are we going to know the kingdom of God? Again, Dallas Willard was telling a philosophy student at USC, Dallas Willard one time was the chair of the philosophy department at USC. But he's telling the student about Jesus. And he said this to the student, now when you pray, Jesus will walk right up to you and he will listen to you. Now what kind of person says stuff like that is what the question J.P. Moreland asked about that. The student went to Dr. Moreland and told him what Dallas had said. And he said, what kind of person says something like that? Jesus will walk right up to you. Someone who believes and knows a very real Jesus. That he is as real as real as this pulpit. Willard went on to describe his own prayer life. And he said this, there's a great difference between speaking with someone who's present and speaking with someone who's not there. There's a great difference, isn't there? How does that change your prayer life? How does that change my prayer life? And it doesn't matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum. But if prayer is just like spouting out some religious hopes and aspirations and concerns, I don't think that's the scriptures. I don't think that's the prayer of the scriptures. Rather, it's being involved with participating in talking to this very real Christ. Am I living in the reality that Jesus is with us? Because really there is nothing more real than the presence and kingdom of Jesus. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come in the very real places of earth. Your, your rule come in the very real places of earth. Your influence come in the very real places of May I participate with you in the very real places of earth. So where is it? Think about your life right now. Where is it that you need Jesus to walk right up to you in your life? Because he desires to show up there. Jesus calls us to that kind of relationship. The ancients used to call it union with him. Being in union with Christ, in relationship with him. Jean Guion was sent to prison for espousing some of those ideas. She said this, it is then your inner being is his kingdom. That is when God possesses you. Then she goes on and says, when we possess God, we also possess his kingdom. You see, why does that matter? You say, that sounds, you know, so spiritual, Pastor Jeff. That alters the approach of life. That's why it matters. Changes the lens through which we see. When we make claim that we are a follower of Jesus, we are making claim that Jesus actually walks with us. That Jesus actually is living in us. We're making claim that we believe that the resurrection is real and we believe that he is very present among us and in us. We believe that what he said is true, that he will be in us, and we believe what it says in the book of Acts, that in him we live and move and have our being. By the way, 
that was said to a group of secular philosophers. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. We believe that in him we move and we live and we have our being. When we make that claim, that's what we're saying, that his kingdom dwells in us, that we are ruled by Jesus, that life is now the practice of allowing him to reign over us, allowing his rule. Commentator Douglas Harris said this, we must not be so foolish as to think that we can bring in the kingdom. It's not about what we can bring in. It's one of the mistakes we make, I think, is let's, let's usher in the kingdom, let's bring in the kingdom. No, that's God's work. That's God's work. But, he says, we can be signs of the kingdom by marching to a different tune than the secular world around us. Implicit in the direct prayer, thy kingdom come, is the indirect prayer, let thy will be done through and by me that I may become an effective sign of the dawning kingdom. And that's, that's convicting for me. How am I being an effective sign of the dawning of Christ's kingdom here on earth? How am I being that? I wrote this in my notes. What impact, question marks? What difference, question marks? What does it matter, question marks? Talk a little bit next week when we talk about hope and holiness and, you know, what difference does our hope make? But think about it. What difference does this make? How is this making a difference? Christ. Christ is the king of me. How am I being an effective sign of the dawning of Christ's kingdom? As I said earlier, for so long, Christians often thought the most important question was, if you died tonight, you would go to heaven. Would you go to heaven? But if Jesus is as real in the world as the scriptures teach us, and he is, and his kingdom begins within our hearts, and it does, then that question changes a little bit again. What if we ask, if you live today, whose kingdom will you live in? If you live today, whose kingdom will you live in? The world's kingdom? The secular kingdom? The values of the world's kingdom? Or Christ's kingdom? Some translations include the traditional conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which you heard me pray. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, you'll look in your more modern translations, and there'll be a little mark, a little asterisk, and it might say this is not found in older manuscripts, but it was found in some. But we continue to pray that, recognizing that that statement summarizes the Lord's Prayer in its entirety. I was in a period um, at one point of solitude and silence for an extended period of time away from my family this summer. I was by myself. I was reflecting on the Lord's Prayer and thinking about the kingdom of God, and I kept coming back to that 
old part, that old translation. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. As I reflected upon that, I came to see something different about the kingdom, I think. Now, when I say that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, we will likely say, amen. God's kingdom is the greatest of all kingdoms. Right? Amen? Okay. But then these words came to my mind. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I began to think about that. His kingdom is the greatest. And love is the greatest of those three virtues. And I thought, Lord, grant me to live in the kingdom of your love and the power of your love and the glory of your love. For yours is the kingdom of love and the power of love and the glory of love. Not something reserved for just some spirituality. But let this be translated to the activities of my very common life. The actions and the attitudes and the words and the relationships. Now, if there's going to be a group that's going to line up to see how we're doing in that, I'll be the first one to line up and talk about how imperfect I am at that. But it seems to me that that's a pretty good definition of what the kingdom of God here on earth is about. The kingdom of love and the power of love and the glory of love. And in Jesus himself, this one who is with us and shaping us, we see that the defining attribute of love is sacrifice for others. That's the defining attribute. And so let me ask you again, all that being said, do you believe that Jesus is with you? Do you believe that Jesus lives in you? There's an old song. Now this really dates me and dates others. I was on a bike ride yesterday and as I was biking along, this young woman began to pass me. And she was passing me, and she was just cranking right along. And there was a day when I would be able to catch up to her and blow right by her. And I thought this, dude, you're old. <laughs> and I pleasantly watched her ride. And in fact, a number of young people went by me, and I kept thinking, everyone that goes by me, I'm getting older. <laughs> so this song, though, comes from another era. Some of you are going to remember it. Hear the lyrics again. Do we really believe them? In this very room, there's quite enough love for all of us. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all of us. And there's quite enough hope and quite enough power to chase away any gloom. For Jesus, Lord Jesus, is in this very room. Do we really believe that? We really believe that. How does that shape us? How does that shape us right now in this time, in our day? How does that shape us? How does that shape us the way we treat one another? How does it shape how we seek to love one another? How does it shape us to want to make choices for the sake of others? That's how it's challenging me. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Put another way, Richard Valenstasa said this, our task as humans is to remember that God exists and that God is present in the course of our daily living. And he goes on to talk about us who believe this about Jesus. He says, as we bathe and eat and work and relate to others, commute to work, sit idle, watch television, and whatever we do in that day, think about what you do in your day. Think about what you do. 
Think about what you do when you're checking email or looking at your phone or running the errands or taking care of the kids or trying to figure out what you're going to do later in the week or what's happening at work. He goes on, he says this, we remember that we are before God in God's presence. He said, Christians, if anyone should remember this, all the day's activities are done before God. There's no place in which God is absent. There's nothing that happens that is separate from the presence of God. Wow, wow. That's astonishing. The implications of that are amazing. That changes everything. Now wherever you go, wherever I go is holy ground. And what we do, whatever we do, is an opportunity to reveal this kingdom when Jesus is with us and in us. Using that old, ancient language, are you in union with Jesus himself? It is what he desires more than anything else. Like I said to our Jesus on the top of Mount Monadnock, do you want to join us? I would, I would love to do that. I think, I know. Jesus is saying, thank you for including me. He wants to be included. He wants his kingdom to come. That's where we start. Christ and his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is within you. What a difference that makes. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. And as we sing in closing the song, Same Love, the same love that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. I want to invite you today just to ask yourself, ask yourself in your mind, what is it that you were sensing God might be saying? Maybe you're wondering what it's like for God to be speaking to you. What is that impression deep in you that's something that resonated with you? That's the right thing. Maybe it's something you're convicted about. Maybe it's something that you sense needs to shift. Maybe it's something that you said, yes, that makes sense to me. As we're singing, I want to invite you to include him in that place in your life where, like Dallas Willard said, when we look to him and cry out to him, he'll just show up in our lives. I think it's pretty cool I think it's pretty amazing that that's the life we have. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that you will know God and Jesus Christ, that we can know him. And that changes everything. Oh God, let your kingdom come.